0: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 212 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Friday morning, June 5th, 2020. It feels like it's been a lifetime since we last recorded, even though it's been only about a week. I am your host for this episode, Sam Klein. I'm coming to you from up in Massachusetts. I am joined, as always, by Jason Evans in Atlanta. Jason,
1: good morning. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Um, I'm excited that the NBA is coming back. That's a The return of sports is a good thing. So we'll be so- talking about that. That's... That's it's awesome. a, it, it's a, a bit of comfort in a strange time.
0: Donald Wine is in Washington DC. Donald, how are you these days?
1: Uh
2: not well. Uh, I live in a military state without getting too political. We'll talk about all that later, but Oh, you uh, get like political.
1: Jason, Go get political, yeah, well, baby.
2: Yeah, like Jason, I I you know, I need the I need the NBA to come back and I'm glad that we are starting to see the shapes of of what looks to be in the playoff season. Plus, uh, coming back very soon.
0: So as you alluded, Donald, we're going to talk certainly about the NBA. We wanted to come on today to talk about the NBA's plan to return. We also have the latest in the Zion Williamson back and forth legal spat that that we'll get into. There isn't any real deep dive information (laughs) that we can go on at this point, but we will talk about it. And then, of course, because we are citizens of this country, we do want to address the protests of the last week so we'll we'll talk about that a bit at the end i do want to start though with the zion williamson case he has sued his former representatives at prime sports marketing they've sued him back donald wine of course on the show is our resident legal expert he's the only accredited lawyer of the three of us so donald i'll kind of let you start and sort of walk us through what is going on in the case right now Who's in which position and and kind of give us a flavor for what might be coming next?
2: I won't get in, bore everybody with this, with all the specifics. We discussed it at length a few weeks ago uh, on on the on the podcast. But basically what we have at this point is a few days ago, mind you, there are two cases. Zion has sued in North Carolina. His former marketing agent has sued in Florida. So now're so let's discuss the Florida case because that is where the news came from. The Florida 11th Circuit, uh, the judge ruled that Zion Williamson is would be required to answer the interrogatories and requests for admissions that uh, Gina Ford and Prime Sports Marketing had sent him a few weeks ago, what we were discussing. Now, when it comes to that, these are just legal documents. This is, again, pieces of paper that say, admit you're Zion Williamson, admit you play basketball, admit you played for Duke University. Admit you cheated. Like that's what they're trying to basically, you know, they have a bunch of questions and they're requiring Zion Williamson and his team to answer those questions. Now, this is still under appeal. They appealed the decision of the Florida court because they're saying, hey, we're already appealing the fact that we don't even belong in your court. We are doing this in North Carolina because North Carolina has, you know, was where he was located. They have personal jurisdictions, what we call it. And they're saying that they don't have that in Florida. So right now, even though the judge has required him to answer questions, that ruling is under appeal. But even beside all that, this still doesn't mean that we're at the point where he's going to be sitting down in a courtroom and answering questions by raising his hand and placing his hand in the Bible and, and saying it under oath. These are legal documents where he has to just list answers to each question. Yes, they are under oath. He has to do it. He has to submit it under penalty of perjury. But the answers don't have to be yes, no. They can be I object. They could be this is vague. Please restate. He can literally say answer the question anyway. Any one of us can answer these questions, right? Like, are you Sam Klein? Yes. But you don't have to say, yes, I'm Sam Klein. You can say I object to this question because you already know who I am. These are all facts that are. Being They're they're allegations that each side will present to the other to kind of narrow down what is fact and what is not. So that way in court, they don't have to debate that he is Zion Williamson. That is not an issue of material fact. He is Zion Williamson. He does play basketball. He played for Duke University. Those things will be already stipulated by both sides. The, The other side is just trying to get him to admit some of the other allegations so that they can admit them as fact in court. That's not going to happen, at least not yet. So he's not going to, even though he's been forced to, quote, answer questions, he's not going to answer them in a way where we're going to learn anything new about anything. And on top of all that, we're still going to have to wait because an appellate judge could say, no, he doesn't have to answer these questions right now because he's in this other case, and this other case has to play itself out. So that's where we're at on the legal side of things. Obviously, when it comes to ESPN and, and all the other sports media that reported on it, they don't care about the legal side. They just see Zion Williamson required to answer questions about allegations, and that's all you heard. So that's why you kind of, you know, read more into it and, and realize that we are still at the same point that we were three
0: weeks ago. So there's a lot of uncertainty, as you note. Jason, I'll give it to you. Do you think that Zion? we're going to see Zion Williamson on
1: a stand testifying under oath about these allegations? no next question no i'm kidding uh no, no I, I don't think we ever will uh, and i think, no, I think jason, reasons- I, think,
0: jason I, th- I think you're supposed to i think
1: you're supposed to object to the question i think this is what donald <laughs> is
2: <telling us. laughs> you can you are you are you are under your you're under a legal right to object to the question
0: you're gonna
1: you're gonna you're gonna just t- you're gonna just plead the fifth the whole way through this right yeah, that would make for really interesting podcast content, wouldn't it? Uh, no, I don't think Zion Williamson is ever going to answer these questions. And there are a number of reasons why. Donald already talked about the legal reasons. It, uh, most people seem to think that um, on, on appeal, that the appeals court panel is not going to side with the with the judge. There, there have been a number of people on Twitter who seem to appear to have knowledge on this kind of stuff, who say th- this, this decision to force him to answer the questions. Um, I, again, folks should understand, this is not... This is not Zion testifying under oath in in a courtroom. This is written interrogatories that are part of discovery, and uh, and and there's sort of a different standard here, um, as Donald, you know, w- was was addressing. So, uh, so the legal uh, community seems to be saying this ruling probably is going to be struck down. The other reality is a lot of people seem to think that the the North Carolina case is probably going to take precedence over the Florida case. Um, the contract apparently was signed in North Carolina and Zion was in North Carolina, and it, it just feels like it probably belongs in a North Carolina court. Um, uh, you know, any activities that took place took place in North Carolina for the most part. But the the real reason that Zion's never gonna answer these questions is because the most affected party in all of this is the one best able to make all of this go away, and that party is Nike. Uh, Nike has a tremendous amount of money, um, both in terms of what they spend and in terms of what they make tied up in Duke basketball. Nike's big in the college basketball game. Duke is the biggest name in the game. Duke is the biggest player for Nike. It is not in Nike's interest to have Duke be embarrassed, potentially, if Zion were to say, yeah, someone gave me something or, or his mother or his stepfather, whatever it may be. Additionally, Nike's biggest player, that Nike has right now, at least in terms of the t- the company looking forward to the future, is Zion Williamson. It is not in Nike's interest for Zion to be tainted. So we've got Nike wanting Duke and Nike wanting Zion to both look really good. Nike wants this to go away. At some point along the line, I think as the two sides get closer to some kind of settlement, Nike will be a player, probably silently, probably behind the scenes. This is something not any of us are going to know about But Nike is the individual that can stroke the check to make all this go away. And if it goes bad, Nike is probably the one that gets affected the most because most people think if players are getting paid, we've already seen it from Adidas, most people think it is probably the shoe companies that are paying them. Nike doesn't want to get involved in any of that. The negative publicity to Nike is worth way more than the, I don't know, two, five, $10 million check they have to stroke to make this go away. So all of this is never going to end up being anything because Nike will make sure it won't be anything. And Jason, you
2: said the key word there settlement. This is not getting into a court. Here's the thing. Like you mentioned a lot of the other specifics that we talked about a few weeks ago, the contract was signed in North Carolina. He played at a college in North Carolina. He was in North Carolina when he signed said contract. And the reason why the the marketing company filed in Florida is to get around North Carolina state law, which says that if you are a college student, that you cannot sign a particular deal with certain marketing firms. They were not listed as one in North Carolina, thus they are suing in Florida. So this whole thing goes back to North Carolina is probably where the best suited you know, best personal jurisdiction for all parties. In this case, Florida, you know, he, he sued in Florida. And I don't think Zion at that time had ever played in Florida, other than when he went to play against Miami. Like that is the only time he stepped foot in, in that location uh, or, or into play Florida state. So, which is North Florida doesn't consider it. But anyway, I think that in the end, <laughs> the word settlement is we, going to be, Donald, we caught that. Donald, I know you caught did. that. He just I put know that in there. He just I that did. in
1: there. <laughs> I, I have three years of,
2: of of good quality training from the University of Miami, but I think at the end this is going to get settled. There's going to be some pivot point, and at certain point, someone's going to go to the other side and say, check books out. What are we? What are we talking here?" Uh, I, I think if if they strike down the case in Florida, then the other lawsuit is going to get thrown out, or at least you know settled in in Zion's favor. But at the end of the day, I think Jason's right, this won't see a courtroom. This may see depositions, but this won't see a courtroom.
0: And it likely won't then result down the line in what the, the loudest Ducators would like to see, which is sanctions and admission of Duke paying players and all of that kind of stuff. One funny thing, guys, when I was doing a bit of research uh, on the sort of latest on these allegations, I ended up on Gina Ford's LinkedIn page, and I just wanted to tell you that she spelled marketing wrong on one of her previous job experiences. <laughs> so, if you well, if, you're, if you're wondering whether or not to take this, if you're wondering whether or not to take this seriously, maybe that's a a minor indicator. Jason, give me one last thought on on this case, and I, I'm more interested at this point in what this is doing for Duke because. I do want to bring this back to us being the Duke Basketball Report podcast and not necessarily the Zion Williamson Report, although we have said in the past that perhaps we we've talked about him extensively.
1: I think this is bad for Duke's image. This case and the headlines about it continue to be in the news. Every time you read about it, I think there is a small segment of the population that believes more and more that Duke did something wrong, knew about doing something wrong. Look, the the story that came out this week that said Zion has to answer these questions, uh, even though we've discussed the fact that in the end he's not going to have to, those stories all include a, a recitation of what many of the questions are, and the questions themselves are slanted in a way that is damaging to Duke's reputation. I think it's really unfortunate. Look, the bottom line is, and we've said this before, I can't swear on a Bible. No no, no! college basketball fan can swear on a Bible that they know that their team and their players are all 100% abiding by the stupid NCAA rules that don't allow players to be paid in any way, shape, or form. I say stupid NCAA rules because they're about to go away, and we've discussed that extensively as well. So I can't say for sure that... Zion Williamson wasn't compensated in some way. I don't think he was, or at least I don't think Duke knew anything about it or was involved in it at all. Because it's just not worth it for Duke to get involved in that stuff. We've seen that blow up on other schools, other programs, and I think Coach K, Co- Coach K, doesn't need any of that. He, he's the goat. But there are other people who believe that the way he became the goat was by pay, paying players, and that Duke has, you know, gotten away with it while others have been caught. And these stories, the longer and longer they're out there, the more and more they're out there, the more sort of people on the fringe, people who don't pay a lot of attention and people who want to hate Duke because we are so successful, the more those people will believe it to be true. I can't wait for the day where players are allowed to be compensated. NCAA, can we make this happen tomorrow? Because then all of this goes away. It's all gone. And we can get back to a world where the players are actually treated fairly, and we can stop worrying about who's secretly passing 50 bucks to what guy under the table, which has been going on for generations. And uh, it, it's just all of it is just wrong. Uh, Donald, find a way for me to close this out, please. <laughs>
2: I, I counter that all those people that you're talking about, no, none of their minds were changed. They had their mind made up beforehand. And I, I think you're, when it you comes be to right. people... When it comes to I don't think our reputation has been damaged in any way because the people who hate us hated us before this started and they wanted this is just adding to their quote unquote evidence of which there is none. again we've talked about that extensively so we just have questions like I can ask anybody a question. That doesn't make it fact, and it doesn't make it true. It just makes it a question. And I think people are skipping past steps one through 100 and going to 101, which is the conclusion. And that happens in every aspect of sports. It happens in every aspect of life. And I think when it comes to Duke's image, I don't think it's been harmed in any way because the people who hated us, hated us yesterday, they hate us today, and they'll hate us tomorrow.
0: I think you can monitor the... National media conversation about this—the the national college basketball media conversation—I haven't seen anything from prominent national writers saying, "Okay, well, this is it. I'm going to think of Duke as a as a cheating program from now on, or or anything like that." I don't. Or think like we've I've lost my respect
2: that. for Coach K. That you haven't heard that yet. You haven't heard. I've lost none all of that. respect. And, for,
0: none of that. And national media are going to be slow to to change their minds about things like that, right? The the big national writers are incentivized to have good relationships with the coaches so they can keep coming to practices and keep getting interviews. So if you see any of them turn, then I think that's that's sort of a good indicator that things have changed in this case. Until that time, I feel like we just have to wait and see what happens. But of course, we'll keep talking about it because that's our job here. So, guys, I do want to move on. We've been talking about one NBA player, Zion Williamson. Let's move on and talk about, well, I guess it's most of the NBA. The NBA and its teams announced on Thursday an agreement that was voted on unanimously other than than by the Portland Trailblazers for some reason, but most of the NBA agreed that the season will resume, the 2019-2020 season, will resume in July in a limited format. Most of the NBA teams, 22 of them, will be flying down to Orlando, 13 Western Conference teams and nine Eastern Conference teams. So if you remember, the NBA is normally in the playoffs, eight teams on from each conference. This will be 13 on one side and nine on the other side. The teams that notionally are not yet in the playoffs will be playing a limited end of the regular season to determine who gets in. There may be a play-in scenario between the eight and nine seeds. You can certainly look up all these details But then after that, we will have the NBA playoffs. They will end in October, and the finals will happen in a seven-game series similar to the way they normally do. There will be fewer off days. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about the way that the NBA is keeping the players and all of the staff in the facility safe. It's certainly a big partnership between the NBA and the Walt Disney Company, which of course owns ESPN and therefore runs the Wide World of Sports Complex. All of this is happening I won't say that it's happening quickly because we've certainly been hearing rumors about this being a possibility for weeks now. But it does seem like the NBA is the first of the major American sports to get back on the calendar. Major League Baseball is still having huge arguments between their players association and the league. The NFL, I don't know that we've seen anything substantial about their plans, although they still have a little bit of runway before they return. But the NBA is certainly back and we'll be seeing it in July. The training camps reopen in early July, so I'm sure we'll be hearing about players coming in and, and who's out of shape and who's in shape and who's ready to finish the season, who thinks this is a waste of time. Jason Evans, tell me about your thoughts on the NBA's return, and tell me really what you think about the the plan to, to come back and and how it's going to affect certain teams. What are you going to be watching for as teams are arriving in Orlando?
1: So, first of all, as we said at the very top, when we were, you know, doing in our intros, I'm thrilled that this is happening. Um, we've all missed entertainment and sports and, and and a lot of things in our lives in the past few months. We've missed being together with our friends and family and the such. So, uh, so anything that gets us a little bit more back to normal in a safe, smart, planned out, and thoughtful way is a great thing. And I love that it's the NBA and basketball. I mean, I like baseball a little bit. I like football a little more than baseball, but basketball is the sport that I care about the most. We were missing out on what was a a really interesting, really great NBA season. And and I'm glad we're going to get maybe not a complete ending to it, but, but an ending that will be satisfying. So that's a really good thing. I'll tell you the thing that I'm most interested in and it's the one thing the NBA sort of hasn't detailed that much about yet. They say it'll be coming in the next few days. Uh, The NBA has not spoken about what they're going to do if someone tests positive. Uh, And and that to me is the big question. They're going to do a tremendous amount of testing. They're going to have everyone sequestered for for a couple of weeks before the season starts. Um, There's going to be testing almost on a daily basis. I think perhaps even on a daily basis for players and for the, Uh, You know, dozen to two dozen people who are uh, associated with the team who are going to be a part of all of this. They're trying to create a bubble where the players and the games will occur that will not interact with the outside world. And they're hoping that this will mean no one will test positive. But I think that probably is unrealistic. At some point, I think someone will test positive. And what the NBA is trying to do is set up a system where uh, if a player tests positive, that won't shut down the league. I think it's just going to be really interesting to see what that system is and how it works because it can be to some extent a little bit of a model of what maybe other businesses can try to do of how the rest of us maybe begin to get back to a a somewhat more normal life. And I think it's possible that the NBA will will say okay that player who tested positive is quarantined it's away from the game and and it's possible that you know some of the other players that that person you know played with are then quarantined and We may even see the NBA deciding that okay, an entire team is now out of the process because they've been infected or something like that. I just think it's it's sort of to me that's the fascinating. Aside from the sporting aspect of it, the fascinating aspect of all this is to see how they're going to deal with you know keeping the coronavirus out, and then what happens if it gets in. And that that to me is what I'm really interested in hearing more about and seeing how it plays out because I think again, uh, you know, this is a small scale, but on a larger scale, this is something that. All of us, you know, can affect, can impact all of our lives and the way we interact with all kinds of different things.
0: And the interesting thing here is that the NBA is probably best positioned to be the the guinea pigs on this. It's the league with the smallest teams. It has the smallest support staff. Everything can be sort of contained. And not to mention the stadium space necessary for NBA teams is, is also pretty limited. So they're talking about all being able to play in in one small confined area. So once you can guarantee that everybody walking into the complex is is safe and healthy, then they should be able to go about their business. As you said, Jason, the question of what happens when someone gets sick is something they're going to have to address before the players actually start appearing. There are different travel limitations for guys who are in different parts of the country, so there are a lot more logistics, but it does seem like they are committed to it and more importantly that you know i mentioned that major league baseball is trying to do something similar but major league baseball and its players association are on wildly different pages about how this is going to work the nba has been in lockstep with their players association throughout this process which i think is going to make the whole thing end up looking a lot better and the nba comes out looking good as a result of this provided they can pull it off donald what are your thoughts on on the nba's return amid the pandemic
2: I think that a lot of what Jason said is is how I feel about the uh, NBA coming back. I, I like that it's coming back. I like that they have a plan. I'd like to hear more specifics about how they're going to keep the players and the training staff and everybody around them safe. I say that because – And the elderly bubble,
1: coaches. The elderly coaches. I mean, coaches, like, I mean yeah. they're
2: talking about some of the coaches not being able to coach during the games because of their age. The coaches are pushing back on that. But – This bubble that they're creating isn't going to be a bubble because on Monday, MLS, Major League Soccer, is expected to announce that they too will be using the Wide World Sports Complex to resume their season in July and early August. So literally, you are going to have two major sports leagues in this country descending on the same campus. Now, I don't know how these these leagues have been... Hold
1: on. You can keep them separate, though. I really... There's enough... Disney has enough hotels and... Other stuff that you can keep them separate. And in fact, I think one of the things the NBA is talking about is like literally all the players may be in the same hotel, one or two hotels, which is kind of amazing. Well, here's
2: (laughs) the thing. They're they're going about a, a bunch of different things because one of the things that the players have been talking about is how to create that home court advantage that you will be missing and where the playoffs that's what you work all season for is to get that home like the Bucks are sitting there like, hey, we want to play all our games at Pfizer Forum because we earned it. We we are the best team in basketball.
0: Getting to just wear the white jerseys is not enough to create a home court Correct. advantage or or, or, so, or or the yellow jerseys in, in the in the Lakers case.
2: Yeah. And and so what they're even talking about is having the teams that have the better records pick which hotel that they want to stay at. But that doesn't – again, when you have – and the wide world sports complex, I get it, is, is huge. But when you put two major sports leagues in the same thing – because MLS has 26 teams. We have 22 teams from the NBA, and the support staff for MLS is about as small, but the, the team size is bigger. You're talking about 30 players as opposed to 12. So we have these two teams, and I don't think they've talked to each other about how they're going to make sure that each bubble – will stay a bubble. Now, fast forward, besides all that, I think on the court, I think we're looking at something that could be a precursor for what the NBA has been talking about trying to implement all you know over the last year or so. And that is a midseason tournament that kind of is a one-month, no holes barred kind of tournament. I think we're seeing the catalyst and we're going to see some quirky things, I think, being instituted into this to make it so that teams who have the better records have the home court advantage or at least some sort of advantage over the other team in these games. So I'm interested to see how that's going to work. And I I do like that they took the extra teams. The reason they took the extra teams wasn't necessarily competition. It was for money purposes because those 88 extra quote unquote regular season games get thrown into that pot of revenue that gets split between the owners and players at the end of the season. This saves the, this saves 300 $300 million for the players. So the players were definitely like, yeah, we'll play these extra games because that means more money in our pockets. And the, the even with the salary cuts, the revenue pot is still going to be that much more
0: higher that they can then split. All right. So looking ahead, the one other very interesting aspect of this is how it relates back to college basketball because the nba season is now going to extend into october the nba draft is going to happen in october the draft lottery is happening in august the latest news at least that i can see from the ncaa is that they put out a statement yesterday saying men's basketball student athletes will have until 10 days after the nba draft combine or august 3rd whichever comes first to withdraw from the postponed 2020 nba draft and maintain their eligibility so august 3rd is is the date that is going to to be the guide there which means players that declared for the draft and have not yet decided have until august 3rd to decide whether or not to come back to school who knows what universities are going to look like in the fall that means that there's a lot of uncertainty up in the air and that you know certainly the College basketball season could get pushed back. We know that the NBA's next season, the 2020-2021 season, won't start until December so that the players have time to recuperate after this playoffs that ends in October. But as for players who are sort of on the edge, do I stay or do I go, there is an extended timeline here, and they may not be able – they still may not be able to get – all the information that they want about their draft status and, and where they're looking, but they have more time, which leads to more uncertainty for coaches. So Donald, I'll bring it back to you. What do you think about that timeline? And and are there any trends that you expect to pop up as a result of this? It's hard to say
2: because as you alluded to, this is the first time we've ever had to deal with this and, and that extended timeline. I mean, the NBA will have been back in session under this current timeline for about nine days before these players have to make a decision. It's unclear. They have not scheduled when the draft combine will be, if it will be taking place before August 3rd. And and so even if we talk about August 3rd and really the NBA is probably just focused in July on getting these players into camp, getting them training and getting them kind of in that bubble that we were talk just talking about so that they can restart the season. I I think when it comes to the players and, and really for those players who are on the fence they're going to probably decide to come back because for August 3rd, almost every single school, even with them starting earlier, a lot of schools are have decided because of the coronavirus that they're starting the fall semester earlier and ending earlier so that they don't get to, you know, the winter time, or at least the colder part of the fall. I think they still have time to withdraw and still enroll on campus. But I think when it comes to some of these teams, these programs, they're probably like, do I have to hold a scholarship open for this, for this player? Do I have to, you know, if, if they decide they want to come back, does that mean some, you know, walk on loses their scholarship or worse their spot? How does this all work? I think the NCAA is going to have to address that part of it because again, we're walking into unknown territory and it would be help. It would help if we had someone create a path instead of all
0: 353 division one basketball programs charting their own path. And by the way, in the midst of all this, we know that some programs have let their athletes come back on campus. And there was a report yesterday or the day before that a handful of Alabama football players tested positive for coronavirus. So uh, going back to something Jason was mentioning earlier, what happens now? What happens now that the players have all left? They come back. Do we we risk infections around guys coming back to school? And and will the NCAA and the conferences and the individual schools even let that happen? There are so many kind of different ways that it could play out negatively for for everybody involved. Jason, give me me some final thoughts on, on this issue for the NCAA and for the colleges.
1: There's an aspect of all of this, especially related to younger players who are considering becoming pros, that I don't think people talk about that much. Um, we are setting up a special system whereby the NBA can play. Donald says the MLS is doing the same thing. These, these big pro leagues are going to find a way to play. And as a result, they're going to find a way to pay their players something. It'll, it may be a little less than what they ordinarily would make. Uh, they're prob- they're, there will not be fans in the stands, but it will be televised. So they'll be generating revenue. And with that revenue, they can pay the players. You know what we haven't talked about? what No one talks about at all. What's the G League going to do? What is minor league baseball going to do? There's no big TV contract for the minor leagues. And when we're talking about the G League, I don't think there's going to be any big push. The NBA isn't going to be too worried with making sure that their main product works. I don't think you're going to see the NBA spending tens of millions of dollars to stage some kind of G League special camp. Are they going to suddenly start? no, No one watches G League games on television anyway.
2: Sorry, Jason, I just want to interrupt because I know you didn't know this because it just happened. The G League has canceled the rest of their season, so no G League.
1: Yes. Well, I'm, I'm not even thinking about next season. I'm not even thinking about this season. I'm thinking about next season. This season, yeah, I get it. That's already gone. Um, that, there's no question about that. But my point, my, my point was, if you're one of these fringe players, if you're a guy who's going to be a second-round draft pick and maybe end up signing a two-way deal, I, I'm not sure there's going to be a two-way deal possibility because – I'm not sure the G League is going to exist next year.
0: It doesn't make financial sense for the NBA exactly. to have the G League. If they're jumping through enormous hoops to get not even all of the NBA teams on a campus to play these games in front of no fans, therefore there's no ticket sales, no beer sales, all that stuff is out the window. I can't imagine them them trying to do a non-revenue generating development
1: league. And by the way, there's going to be no NBA Summer League, obviously. We're we're already you know, we're going to be playing during the summer. <laughs> um, a training camp is going to be greatly compressed. They're talking about training camp starting November 10th with games, regular season games, the 2021, 2020-2021 season to begin December 1st. So that's a really short training camp for these NBA teams.
0: Not to yeah. mention, Jason, that the finals end in mid-October. So the players that play in the finals, you know, we we hear every yeah. year about how hard it is for a guy like lebron james who plays in the finals almost every season or he did until you know until very recently and every summer his his summer is cut short you know by a month and a half for him to stay in the playoffs that whole time now they're going to be the teams that make it to the finals are going to come back in three weeks to begin training camp and then go right back into the season they barely have time to recover from from this season which is a weird version of the you know, a continuation of what was going to be a full season for them that would have ended around now anyway.
2: I will say that the December 1st timeline is for a reason. It's so that they can complete the season on time for the NBA players to be able to uh, compete in the Olympics next summer, assuming as of now that the Olympics do proceed next summer as, as rescheduled.
1: Right. But but my bottom line, the point that I'm making is if you're not a surefire first round draft pick, if you're not someone who is automatically going to make a NBA team anyway, you're you're putting your basketball career at serious risk because you may not have any place to play if you choose not to go back to co- I would advise guys to go back to college if they can. Have a place where you can play because I think that, the fringe players are not going to have much time to make a team or make an impression. And the G league, the, the place where they may go to sort of hone their skills before they get to the NBA is not very well may not exist next season or, you know, whatever form it's going to be in may not be a form that works very well for you. So, you know, look, I'm not, I know that the Duke guys are, are, are not going to do this, that they've already decided, but, but there are other fringe guys that I think would be making a mistake to stay in the NBA draft process. If you can get back to college, do it for this time. Not,
2: not to mention, you mentioned next year that all this stuff about the G League may not, may not happen. We talked extensively about how many college players have been decided, or at least high school players, are deciding not to go to college and instead go straight to the G League. We said, the big word that we said, that that was a huge gamble. And they may crap out. On not only not playing basketball, but not getting that check that they were coveting because of a pandemic. It's weird times. It really is. And, and this timeline is just kind of a warped reality that we're, that we're entering and nobody knows how to proceed. But there's I mean, no, I, I think the NBA is leading in that, but I don't think the NCAA has anybody up front that's leading the colleges because these are, at the end of the day, these are kids who need to be you know, said, hey, what do we need to do? and nobody's telling them what to do it is. I think that's, that's adding to the, to the anxiety around uh,
1: college basketball. And in times of great uncertainty, the smartest path, the most predictable path is the one that you sort of know more about. And that's why I think these players should not be venturing off and go, hey, let's see if we can figure out this pro thing, unless you know for sure that you've got a pro future, I think, going back to school. And, and I've not been someone who said that in the past. But I think now is the time for these kids to go back to school. They're they're not going to listen to me, but that's just my belief.
0: Well, and and who knows what colleges are going to look like next year. But I think you're right, Jason, that if anyone's going to figure out how to have an amateur type basketball season next year, it's going to be the NCAA and not the G League. Because the, the NCAA's financial situation rests a lot on the ability to have the college basketball season and therefore have the NCAA tournament. Uh, college football is going to be another big decider here we're not exactly sure what's going to happen but we'll we'll obviously keep an eye on it things are are changing basically every week now so we'll we'll keep coming back to you and updating on it we are going to wrap up here with a bit of a somber note on the latest events here in the u.s but before that we will take this quick break Okay, Duke fans, so we have talked Zion Williamson, we have talked the NBA schedule, and particularly how it relates to college basketball, a season that we don't even know when it is going to start or if it's going to happen at all. But of course, this week has been about a lot more than just the the NBA and the pandemic. There's been uh, protests throughout the country uh, following the killing of George Floyd. We have Donald Wine on the podcast to kind of kick us off here and, and give us thoughts on what's going on in the country, and, and how everyone's sort of doing as a result of it. I know that it's not our normal beat here on the DBR podcast, but we felt compelled that it was time to talk about it. So, Donald, I'll give you the floor. Say whatever is on your mind.
2: Uh, there's a lot. Um, I wake up every day as a black man in America, and it. I have to go through things that other people don't. I live in a very affluent part of Washington, D.C. I walk through my neighborhood, my own neighborhood that I've lived here for, you know, I've lived in this area for 13 years. I walk through here every day getting looks because people assume that I'm not supposed to be there. They assume that I can't pay rent. They assume that because of how I look, that I'm not supposed to be where I am. And there are things that I have to navigate in my daily life that I have to think about that other people may not. Um, I carry around a blue wallet, not because I love Duke so much, but because I want to make sure that when I pull it out, people know it's a wallet. I wear, you know, jerseys and stuff, and and I wear flashy clothes, not because I like, you know, I, I love those things, but I also subconsciously, Wear them because i want make I want people to make sure that they knew exactly where I was and that I didn't fit the description of someone else. i you know I have to go through these things, and everyone has a breaking point for every black person in America, this is the breaking point we I, This has been a lot, this whole thing, and to add on to everything that's going on, I live in washington d c which as of Monday, was taken over by the military, by the United States military. The military that we pay taxes for, but we had no say in it because we don't have representation in Congress. And that has broken me even more because now everyone is saying, oh my God, this is bad. But it's been bad. It's been this bad. And every time we yell, every time we speak up, no one hears us. And I, I it does warn me that it, it warms me, you know, at least as much as it can, that people are starting to speak out about it. That it it it's better late than never. You know, people are starting to join and say, hey, what's happening here isn't right. And I just fear that it's too late for me. It's the one thing that Black people pass down from generation to generation is I hope. And my dad, when I was, I mean, this was six years ago. See, I, I, don't know, I don't know if you guys read it. For those of you out there who know me on Facebook, I wrote just an essay just kind of compiling some of my thoughts. Not all of them, but some of them. And it was something that I started six years ago after the Ferguson protests. And I remember it is something that will always stick with me. My dad back then, this was 2014, he said, I hope that I can live 30 more years on this planet so that you will only have to go 30 years after that unprotected from the world. He was 63 when he said that. So some people would say, Yes, I would like to protect my kids. I won't, you know, make sure that they're there. But he literally is trying to live so that he can protect his what, what at that point would be I would be 62 if he makes it to 93 and that's something that no one should ever have to live with um and that's kind of what you know they're putting on a strong face for me I'm trying to put on a strong face for them but inside we're both broken because inside the only thing he knows and my parents know the only thing that they've passed down to me is that they hope that my world can be better than the one that they lived in to an extent it has been, you know, they grew up in the civil rights movement. They grew up in segregation and Jim Crow. But the Jim Crow here is, is not overt. It's subvert. And now my hope is that whenever I have kids, that one day that maybe they can be in a freer world than I live in right now. I've never thought about the fact that I live, that I could live in a place where the president of the United States could take over the mil- the police polarization of its city with the military. That's something that we don't like us doing to other countries. And we're doing it in the national capital of the United States. And all because they don't want to face the fact that police brutality against African-Americans in this country is a real thing. And I think that's kind of the thing that's broken me. Um, it's been hard to sleep the last couple of you know, three weeks since I mean, a month, this time a month ago, it's January, it's, it's June 5th. This time a month ago, we all organized to run 2.23 miles for Ahmed Arbery, who was murdered for the simple thing of jogging in his neighborhood. And I felt that was enough. I, I felt that was enough to break me. We've had multiple incidents since then that have sent me you know just kind of over the edge i'm not okay it's okay to say that um but i do this is the first podcast that i've done this is the first time in 10 days that i've really been able to talk about sports in a way that makes me feel good so i do want to thank you two guys for letting me say this but also just for having this day i know we went to have the other day i and and i told you guys i was like I'm, it's not it i'm not ready and I appreciate you guys respected that. Um, But this is a really terrible time for everybody, but especially for anyone who is black in this country. It's, it's nerve wracking and it's terrifying. And that's pretty much.
1: Hey, hey, Donald, Donald can, uh, uh, I heard something the other day that, that, Absolutely shook me. I mean, like, look, like there haven't been 50 things like that, but but it it stuck Mm with me a little bit. And I wanted to ask you about it really quickly. I didn't even know that this was a thing. Um, Someone said, oh, they were talking about having the conversation with their with their kids. And I'm 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 a white man. And and to me, the conversation was the birds and the bees with my sons. Um, And this person said, no, no, no. In the black community, the conversation you have with your kids is here are the things you need to do to make sure the police don't kill you. And I was like, "Wait, that's—I mean, that's—it's never occurred to me to have that conversation. Of course, it's never occurred to me to have that conversation with my kids. Mm-hmm. Did your father have that conversation with you?
2: Um, multiple times. It's I mean, not
1: good God. How that, can we an live in a world like that?
2: It's an evergreen conversation. It's not the birds and the beads is one talk, right? You say it get rid of it, you explain it, and then it's un- understood. But what a lot of people don't realize is when we have that talk, that still may not be enough. There are so many guys who've died in this country who did the right things. They complied. They showed their ID. They were they were polite. They had their hands in plain sight. Still killed. So we I'm glad that people right now are starting to stand up and say this isn't right. We need to do something about it. I'm I'm also glad that people are kind of opening their eyes a little bit to the fact that police brutality is real. And if it's happening now, how it's happening on the, in the media and they don't care what happens when the cameras are turned off, what happens to when, when, I mean, last night a white man in Buffalo was pushed down to, and, and shoved down by a cop and split his head open on the pavement and they didn't help him. And in the report, The official report, the police said one man tripped and fell, even after they knew that it was on national, international media, on the the Internet, video of it happening. Just imagine. This is what we've been yelling for a long time. This is what I've been yelling my whole life. This is what parents before that. Again, it's one of the few traditions we get to pass down. And that isn't being really looked at. And so I hope that this is the start of something where, again, I fear it may be too late for me to fully enjoy it, but our, our task is to do it so that the next generation doesn't have to. I, my parents are living to protect me. I'm living so they don't have to. And uh, that is something that no family should ever have to go through. And we're just one of millions of families that have to shoulder that burden and still carry on with regular life.
1: You know, it seems insignificant, unimportant in the grand scheme of things to talk about sports, but but that's sort of where we are. That's what we're here for. And I do think there have been some really interesting reactions from the sports world um, in, in, in all of this stuff, specifically the college sports world. Um, we we've seen some some really strong statements, stronger than we've seen in the past, from a number of coaches. Uh, you know, especially the college basketball coaches, Coach K, um, uh, John Calipari, uh, throughout the college basketball ranks, we've seen coaches speaking up. And by the way, both white and black coaches, there have been a lot of black coaches who have told stories about, and, and when we're talking about black coaches, we're talking about guys who who generally are, are at least a little bit known in their community. Um, they are certainly, you know, if you're a college basketball coach, that's a fairly affluent job. They probably live in you know slightly better neighborhoods um Mm -hmm. and and they've all told stories um about how how they've been treated wrong but but i I wanted to specifically call out and mention um the america east conference uh because they've done something i think really really special this is not one of the bigger conferences in college basketball we're talking about um, albany binghamton stony brook vermont hartford uh, Maryland, Baltimore County, New Hampshire, UMass Lowell, and Maine—not big-time college basketball teams—but that entire conference has come out and said that they their sports teams are going to do nothing on November third, except encourage players to go vote. Um, there will be no practices, there will be no workouts, voluntary or otherwise. All they're going to do is say we're taking a break. And the players are going to go vote. And there have been a lot of other conferences, not conferences, a lot of other teams who said they're going to do the same thing. They want to encourage young people to make a difference at the ballot box. The America East has also said that every one of their teams this coming season will dedicate one of their home games to doing an anti-racism event education kind of program. And that's a great thing. Um, and I think that we're going to see more and more programs do that kind of thing. Use the platform of sports to educate people about things that are problems in our society. And then there are some teams. Then there are some coaches that are a little bit on the other side of this issue. I think we should talk about a couple guys who have gotten in some trouble this week um, who have not been doing the right thing. At Florida State, Mike Norvell, the head football coach, came out and said, in an interview, he said, I have sat down and spoken one-on-one with every single member of my team to talk to them about this important issue of racism in America. And almost immediately, some of his more prominent players came forward and said, "Um, no, no, he hasn't. He He's lying to you. And these coaches, these players, sorry, got really mad that their coach was pretending like he was taking a big role in all of this. And for a little while, I mean, it was only 18 to 24 hours or so. It looked like the Florida state team was going to be in full open revolt and like refusing to practice or play for Mike Norvell. I mean, it could have been a major situation. Now Norvell had a team meeting over zoom and he seems to have calmed things down, but he learned very quickly. You can't just, you know, talk about this stuff. You can't pretend like you're doing something. You actually have to do something. So Norvell is one guy who got in trouble, the guy who's really in trouble. And I think it's going to to be a problem for him going forward is perhaps the second biggest coach in all of college football, Dabo Swinney at Clemson. Um, Dabo Swinney uh, has not issued any statement, um, you know, at least statement in, in sympathy or anything like that, uh, about the events that have happened in our country over the past week, the protests and, and, and the problems with police violence against African-Americans. Um, in fact, the only statement Dabo Swinney has issued is saying that it's not for him to talk or react. It's just for him to listen. And he thinks that's enough. Oh, but just by saying, I'll listen, I'm doing enough. Um, uh, He says that he hopes that he will turn his players into better human beings and that they will then go out into the world and make a difference. And he talks about how he's practicing Christianity and that the Bible preaches forgiveness and stuff like that. There are a lot of people who are now stepping up and saying that Dabo Swinney is not leading in the proper way and that it is his role to speak up and say something. His role is not just to silently listen. And it has also come out that Dabo Swinney, back in 2016, discouraged players from participating in anti-racism protests. He said that if you're a member of this team, you're not supposed to go out and protest and and take a voice in the community. And that in 2017, one of Dabo Swinney's assistant coaches used the N-word during a practice, and there were no repercussions from that. There was no punishment or anything like that. This is a serious issue for Davos winning and he needs to understand there is a right side and a wrong side. And he is on the wrong side right now. And he is going to have trouble recruiting. He's going to have trouble maintaining his job. This is a guy who wins national titles, probably the second most powerful coach in all of college football. He's in trouble. He needs to recognize it. He needs to do the right thing. And I love that college sports is recognizing that it needs to play a role in educating society about what's right and what's wrong. We aren't just here for entertainment. We're also here to have an impact on people.
0: And the, the wonderful thing about college sports, Jason, I think that you were alluding to is that it is one of the places in our country where there is this huge clash of people of different color and different socioeconomic status coming together for the same purpose. There are kids who go play college football and college basketball who come from all backgrounds. It's really just, are you athletic enough? And, and can you hack it a little bit at this university enough to, to, to play the game? And if you're good enough to play, then you're invited, which means that we get incredibly diverse groups of people on the court and on the field. And then those people grow up and, and turn into coaches. And so you have coaches who understand where a lot of these players come from the, the conversations that are, are coming out now from the college sports community are going to be as eye-opening and interesting as anywhere else in in our world. And so it's it's cool that the three of us are always here to to talk about these issues. It you know, when when they hit home for one or, or all of us in a in a particular way, it's important for us to express that. And and it's also important for us to review how that's affecting the the world that we like to talk most about, about about the college athletics community. So I, I just Wanted to say that, you know, Donald, we're the, the two of us are, are here for you. I'm sure that there are listeners out there that are, that are here for you, and, and we appreciate you being honest and open and, and willing to, to talk about this on the show with us because, as, as I said at the top of this discussion, this is not something that we talk about very often. We, we try to stay away from from the issues of the day. We really want to focus on the sports, but right now the, the, the sports is completely overshadowed by, by, by these events. And and by what's happening in in cities and and small communities all across the country, I, I do want to give it to you, Donald, to to kind of send us off from this episode uh, because because I know that this has had sort of the biggest impact on your week and and give you the opportunity to sort of say whatever else is on your mind. Yeah, it's 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 weird because
2: this affects everybody, but I mean, for for African Americans, it affects all of us. It always has, and when you see people at their breaking point. It becomes eye-opening. Just remember, we've been talking about sports this whole hour. It's been great. Um, And most of the people we're talking about are going through it just like I am. And then they have to, you know, they're, they're told to shut up and dribble. They're told to sit down, know your place. Drew Brees the other day, you know, talked. And he, after four years and after all this, he still came with the same line. Uh, about colin Kaepernick 's kneeling, I think people are some people are starting to recognize why we why we were actually kneeling what that what that meant and It always meant that
1: I actually think this is a, a a really good story to tell because he he gave his whole line about yeah you got to respect the flag and and don 't kneel you know all the other kind of stuff that you 're right is a is an old take and and it 's a take that i that I hear a lot of people still saying, and mm-hmm. the shout back. The, the, the angry denouncement that he got from so many of his teammates and other figures in sports has caused him to recognize, you know what? That that take is not appropriate anymore. Uh, and I need to to recognize that, that maybe my view on this needs some adjustment to some extent. And, and we've seen Drew Brees, you know, apologize and backtrack. Um, and it's not just because He recognizes that he needs to get along with his teammates. I think it's that his teammates and others in the sporting world have educated him about why that belief maybe isn't valid anymore. And and so I think it's a really good story. And we've seen Drew Brees, I don't know that I'd say he's taken a 180, but he's gone maybe 150 or so. (laughs) I mean, he's, he's turning on this some. And I think others are being educated through his story about why all lives matter and respect the flag. You know those those stances are not appropriate at this time, and they don't reflect the reality that people of color have to deal with.
2: You know, people we we say this all the time. People are telling on themselves, and Drew Brees told himself like that. That's always something that you, you know. Yeah, some you know his players may his his teammates may forgive him, uh, but they're not going to forget. You know that first play, you know first series, or whatever, and, and when the, whenever the NFL season kicks off, just to see how many sacks he gets in that first drive like that. The, those sort of things are going to are, are going to fester itself uh, for a while. But I, I'll just close by just saying like sports is a it, this whole thing is compounded by the fact that we're still in the middle of a pandemic. There's still not a lot of live sports on TV. So that's li- just like, you know, people are like, oh, you know, a month ago, we we're like, oh, man, I'm so I'm so worn out by all the coronavirus coverage. Because there was no sports to divert yourself, that to distract yourself, to take yourself away. Sports are what takes me away from all of this for a couple hours, you know, every single time. Soccer has been on the whole time. I literally, like, I, I can find you any soccer game on the internet because over the last two months I've had to do that to kind of remove myself from the coronavirus reality that we lived in. But now I have to do it doubly. Um, and you know it's bad when i'm watching one of my favorite sports in soccer and it's just not hitting right um because it's now opened my eyes and, and my role is to you know further educate people in that community in the basketball community about what is really going on and why when we watch these guys on tv watch these ladies on tv that they're more than just athletes they're they're people too. When the, when the camera's off, then when they take the jersey off, they have to go through what we have to go through. And I think hopefully that this is the start of something where everybody will be able to uh, gather around and say, this shit ends now, to to keep it bluntly. This shit ends now. We're not going back to it. And when we are talking about going back to the old pre-COVID normal, I don't want to go back to that. I want to go back to the new normal and the new normal is this time we're living right now where people are standing up and saying, this ends now enough is enough. Let's end everything in this country that makes us terrible. And let's start really focusing on getting everybody on the ocean surface. There's too many people stuck on the ocean bottom and we're dragging them. Let's bring them up to the ocean surface and let's have it where this country is living out the true meaning of its, of its ideals,
0: life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everyone. With that, we will hope that the next time we get together, um, things have, things have gotten better. We hope that that's the case every time the three of us get together to talk to you about Duke and talk to you about college basketball, but that's going to do it for this episode, 212 of the Duke basketball report podcast podcast for jason evans for donald wine i'm sam klein thanks everybody for tuning in we'll be back as soon as there's more news to discuss and with that duke band take us home